Uh, but today, we're wrapping up our series on uh, mental health, and I've said every Sunday here, um, it's called The Struggle is Real because we wanted to be clear that it's okay uh, to struggle. Uh, as we like to say here at Catalyst, it is okay to not be okay, uh, that it's okay to have a struggle, it's okay to emotionally uh, not be well, it's okay to have mental health struggles, and the reality is, especially over the past two years, many of us have and uh, we said each, each message in this series, and I'll say it again, that we are uh, advocates and proponents in this message series. We're looking at it from a biblical standpoint, giving both practical help emotionally, but also spiritual has been our lens, looking through the scriptures, uh, being led by the Spirit of God. But also we are proponents of seeking counseling. Uh, we are also proponents when need be. You may need to uh, seek also uh, medical assistance, medication. And in the same way, you should not feel any shame for taking medication for blood pressure. You should feel no shame for taking medication for anxiety or depression. And if you believe that, can you say amen? Uh, so we want to we have the dialogue and conversation because statistics show most of us are having some struggles at some point. Uh, so let's just talk about it. And today... Um, our final installment, we want to talk about the topic of burnout. In fact, I'm entitled today's message is Beating Burnout. Uh, burnout is something perhaps some of you have experienced, maybe to varying degrees. Uh, maybe you have loved ones who've experienced burnout to varying degrees. Uh, but my hope today is that we can get some practical insight on how we can recover from burnout, how we can prevent burnout in our lives. Uh, it's defined as, from Psychology Today magazine, as a state of emotional mental, and often physical exhaustion brought on by prolonged or repeated stress. Uh, SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management, <clears throat> found last year that 48% of U.S. workers feel mentally or physically exhausted at the end of each workday. 41% actually report feeling burned out from their work. The American Psychological Association last year found that three out of five employees report negative impacts of work-related Stress. Maybe some of you in the room, you've been there before where you've you felt the impact of stress. Uh, again, burnout is essentially when stress gets so significant or for so long, it creates this sense of exhaustion. All of the research shows there are three primary symptoms of burnout. Um, there is a scale online called the Headington, Headington uh, Institute Burnout Scale. You can look it up. If you want to do a self-assessment, of where you are. You can take that assessment online. I actually took it this week myself. Um, it's kind of known clinically as a scale to assess whether you're burned out. About 25 questions, nothing too intense. But here are the three primary symptoms of burnout. This is from Harvard Business Review, but this is pretty common when you look at uh, the research. Number one is exhaustion. Uh, it's, the, it's the type of exhaustion that even when you get enough sleep, you're still tired. Uh, anybody been there? <laughs> It's the kind of exhaustion that you feel like you can't shake, like you're just tired. Um, that also includes physical symptoms from the stress that leads to exhaustion, like, for example, headaches or stomach aches, or like you, you find yourself getting a cold consistently because of it. Um, secondly is cynicism. Um, like you're, you're pessimistic. Like you find yourself things you used to find joy in, you no longer find joy in. Um, you find a detachment from work. You begin to actually detach psychologically from your work or detach psychologically from other people's needs. And here's the reality. It's because other people's needs like feel very heavy when you yourself are depleted. And the last symptom is inefficacy. 
which is this feeling of I'm not as productive as I used to be. In the same amount of time, I'm not getting what I used to get done. I'm lacking motivation for work. I'm lacking inspiration for work. Uh, Some of you are thinking to yourself, I am there. Come on, we're just going to pray and dismiss, okay? Um, But but here's my hope is that we get some some insight from the scriptures on how we can recover from burnout. And then if you're not there, which statistically most of you in this room are probably not quite there at burned out, but maybe a low level of fatigue, how we can prevent full-blown burnout in our life. Uh, And we're going to look to scriptures as somebody who experienced a burnout himself. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today, for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. We pray that you open it up, God, that you would speak to us today. Father, we love you. Uh, We worship you. We honor you. We posture our hearts and minds to receive from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. First John 19, or first, first John, first Kings 19, uh, to give context, we're looking at the life of Elijah. In first Kings 18, Elijah had this like ministry high moment. He had essentially faced off with 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Uh, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, who were leading Israel, they were kind of opposed to the ways of God. And he sort of like um, kind of challenges them uh, with Baal, saying, listen, um, that the Yahweh, the true God, is stronger than Baal. So you send 450 prophets against me, and God will show up as the true God. And sure enough, they have this showdown. Um, God shows up. Uh, Baal does not show up, showing that Baal was a false god and that Yahweh is the true God. So off of this incredibly high moment, actually, is where Elijah burns out. Mind you, um, oftentimes your body has a hard time differentiating between good stress and bad stress. When you're in a hyper-aroused state, that's why, for example, sometimes when you come off of a hyper-aroused state, a very busy time of life or a high moment of life, you'll sort of crash have you ever, like, you know, maybe you've been in graduate school or medical school, you ever experienced this at the end of a semester? Like, you think to yourself, man, I can't wait to be done with, with, with this semester. I'm going to enjoy life. And then you get home and you crash, right? Or you have this really busy project at work, and then all of a sudden you get done the project and you kind of crash, This is what your body is saying. Your body is saying, I have been in a hyper-aroused state for way too long. I need to come down. Here's the reality. If we do not find a rhythm of rest and recovery in our life, our body will force us to rest and recover. That's the way we are, we are wired and designed and created physiologically. So we're going to look today at Elijah. He has this high moment, but he comes down from it really in a rough state in 1 Kings 19. What happens is Queen Jezebel sends a message to uh, Elijah saying, I'm going to come after you. I'm going to find you, and I'm going to kill you. Now, you would think Elijah who just saw God come through against 450 prophets of Baal, that he would have courage, right? Like, bring it on, Jezebel. My God will deliver me, right? Like, full of faith. But no, he ran for his life. This is how, this is how actually, how much fear he had in this moment. He literally ran 120 miles to Beersheba. Come on. Anybody ever ran 120 miles before? He, he ran these 120 miles to Beersheba, and here's what it says in verse 3 of 1 Kings 19. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life, but he came to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head were some bread, bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He 
ate and drank and lay down again. The angel Lord came back a second time and touched him. Get up and eat. The journey's too much from you. So he got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. I want to look at three kind of applications that we can take from the life of Elijah on how we can recover from or prevent burnout in our life. Here's the first one, if you're taking notes, and that is to rest and replenish ourselves. Here's the first point. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Ready? Rest and replenish ourselves. Moving on. No laughter. Okay. <laughs> I love this. He, he gets to, the, to, to, the, to Beersheba, and the Lord doesn't say like, you know, hey, break out, you know, or let, let's have a, a time of extended prayer and fasting, right? Hey, hey, Elijah, just worship me for the next 24 hours. No, he says, hey, Elijah, take a nap, right? Come on, Elijah, have some bread. Mind you, this is the Lord of the universe. He could, have, he could have given Elijah anything. Mind you, he gave him baked bread. Come on, somebody. He, he wasn't keto. Come on. If you ever wonder, should I do keto or no? No, no, right? When you tapped out, you need some baked bread. Come on, somebody. You know it's true. You get a little hot bread in you. You take a nap. You wake up. You're like, whoo, the Lord is in this place. You know it's true. You never feel like that after broccoli. You never. <laughs> Kale makes you feel more hungry, right? Baked bread, you good. Baked bread. Just a little side note. Bake some bread. Um, but listen, never underestimate the power of some hot bread and a nap. But in all reality is you need to sleep. You need proper rest. Uh, I once heard uh, Pastor Rick Warren say, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to take a nap. Have any of you ever experienced this before? Like maybe you were kind of tired and you had a long day or long week and you were kind of grumpy. Come on, at that place, have you ever been so tired you don't even like people? Anybody else? Come on, be honest in church. It's okay. Like you're just like, man, if somebody crosses me, I might lose it, right? <laughs> and then you take a nap, you wake up and you're like, oh my Lord. I'm once again a Christian, like the Spirit of God refilled me <laughs> while I was sleeping. I was once angry at the world, but 35 minutes later, after a nap, a little bit of drool, I wake up, and the Lord is back with me. Maybe just me, all right? But it happens in my life. Like, because we are designed to sleep. The National Sleep Foundation says the average person needs seven to nine hours of sleep. The NIH, right up the street here, where many of you work, this year, published a study that the average American gets less than seven hours. So the average American is sleep-deprived. Uh, some of you are, <laughs> you're a new parent. You're like, six hours will sound wonderful right now, right? But, but here's why it's so important, because they actually have found that the sleep is, is really important to your, just, your body's natural cycles and rhythms and, and systems. Uh, the re, the uh, Occupational and Environmental Medicine Journal in 2000 they did a study where they had, they tried to, hey, they had people stay up for 19 hours um, in one, one time. And they found those who were awake for 19 hours, catch this, their cognition, meaning their, their thought process, their reasoning, and their motor functioning was as impaired as a legally intoxicated person. They found the same, the same impairment happens when you sleep six or less hours for two straight weeks. Some of you who are new parents, you're like, I wonder why I felt drunk the past month. That's why. Come on, somebody. 
Because you literally are impairing your cognitions and your motor functioning when you lack sleep. Psalm 127.2, it's useless for you to go to work, to work so hard from early morning to late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Aren't you grateful that God gives us rest? Um, I remember some years ago, I had gone to an Apple store, and uh, my iPhone had begun to run very slowly. Apps were not starting. Uh, text messages were not sending through. And that's abnormal for an iPhone. If you have an Android, you're used to that. You're used to a dysfunctional machine. We are not as Apple people. Um, It's a joke. We love you. We just question your decision making. Um, No, but so I go to the the Genius Bar at the Apple store. And anybody else, if you go to the Genius Bar and your phone's working out, you're like hoping they'll just pull out a new iPhone. Anybody else? You're like, please, Jesus, please, Jesus. Tell me it's too damaged. And the first question he asked me, he said, how often do you turn it off? I said, bro, this is the genius bar. <laughs> what are you asking me? How often to turn it off? He says, how often turn I said, I never turn my phone off. I plug it in at night. I have an alarm set so I can get up in the morning. Like, I never turn my phone off. He said, minimally. He says, ideally, you should turn off your phone once a day. Minimally, once a week. I said, well, your boy hadn't turned his off for about 18 months. <laughs> he said, that's your problem. Is that what happens over the course of time if you never actually turn your phone off? Your phone, like on the internal side of it, like both software and hardware, it begins to just, and it's, and it's irreplaceable. Like, I mean, irreversible. It, you can't get used, the, the phone begins to slowly sort of die. I had to get a new phone. So it did work out. Come on. Um, but I thought to myself, if an iPhone needs to be turned off, how much more does my body and my soul need to be turned off? And let's just be honest, speaking of phones, this has made it harder to turn off. They, have, they found the average person, and not just work, right? We, we have work 24-7, but the average social media user spends 145 minutes a day on social media. Some of you right now are tweeting that. You're like, oh, well, I'm not going to tweet that one. <laughs> but, but the reality is that, is that we're constantly connected and actually can be doing some, some damage to our our soul. We need sleep, but we also need rest. There's a book, book uh, called Burnout uh, by these two sisters, Emily and Amelia Nagoski. And these two sisters, it's not a Christian book, but it's a great book on burnout, a lot of research. They actually, um, they wrote it because one of the sisters had a burnout and one of the sisters in public health. And the one in public health helped the other one recover from her burnout. And one of the things they found was, um, as they did research, was that your body actually needs 10 hours of rest a day. Let me clarify. Eight hours of sleep. So 10 of that hours, eight hours of sleep. But then two more hours of what they call rest. Here's what they mean. Um, there was actually kind of, kind of three major activities they kind of identified as these are things which help your body recover. Basically, these three things help your body to recover from fatigue. Recover uh, mentally, your brain, your body, your soul, Helps to recover. The three things which they said, these three activities, um, and it can be, you can just do one of them or all three of them, should at least be two hours of your day um, to kind of fully recover. Uh, The first one is physical movement. So exercise, walking, stretching, bike riding, whatever, playing with your kids, just physical movement. Your, Your body actually recovers from movement. Um, if you're at a hyper-aroused state, exercise kind of brings your body back down. Um, personal connection. 
So like, like conversation with a loved one, having a dinner together as a family, talking to your best friend, talking to your spouse, having a vulnerable and open conversation with somebody who you love. And then play. Now some of you are thinking, is that a mistake, Jeremy? Play? I'm a grown person, right? I haven't played in 27 years, you know? Um, but, but the reality is, in fact, you never actually outgrow your need for play. And the reality is we actually need to have some sort of recreation. I use the word play, but it's really recreation, something we do just purely for enjoyment. Reading a sci-fi novel, crocheting, writing poetry, uh, watching our favorite show on Netflix. Um, go, it can be exercise as well. It can, I have a friend of mine, he, he got into Legos. Um, he like is high level leader in the federal government, but he like for to, to kind of come down in the evenings, he'll do some Legos. I know one person that plays Mario Kart on Nintendo. Like whatever it is for you, fishing, whatever, the, the having some sort of play, uh, something you can do for two hours total. Physical movement, personal connection, and play. Your meal time can include those two hours. If you have meal time with loved ones, you kind of feel like it. It's kind of that connection time. Um, here's what Richard Swenson said, another author. He wrote a book called Margin, a great book on burnout and exhaustion. He's a medical doctor and also a Christian. Um, he wrote a book called Margin. He says this, if we do not rest because our, we do not rest because our work is done, we rest because God commanded it and we were cre- created us for a need for it. Now, one of the rhythms we see, an ancient rhythm we see in our faith as followers of Jesus that we adopted from the Jewish faith is the practice of Sabbath. Now, Sabbath in the original Hebrew, uh, it literally means to cease from working, which, by the way, God created the world in six days, and he rests on the seventh day. And God didn't need to rest on the seventh day. He did it to model it for us. And, and Sabbath is one of those things. I know growing up, for example, I used to think of Sabbath as like a very religious activity. But the words of Jesus says this, that Sabbath was not made for man. It was made for man, rather. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, God created Sabbath for us. Here's how good our God is. He gives you a day off. Come on, somebody. He's like, have a day of rest. It's a day of rest unto God. You know, it's, you know, it's actually one of the, the Ten Commandments. You know, we often, in our modern culture, we, we obviously can all recognize that to murder someone is wrong. But also one of the Ten Commandments is to take a Sabbath, that are actually created, our bodies designed to take one day off out of seven days to rest unto God. Now, it's a, it's a day is unto God. A.J. Swoboda, an author, wrote a book on Sabbath. He said, Sabbath cannot save your soul, but it very well may save your life. You know, we live in a culture right now that's kind of like, you know, you see it all over social media. Hashtag rise and grind. Come on. Hashtag no days off. Right? If you live hashtag no days off, you may have less days on this world, right? Because your body needs to rest. Your body needs to recoup and recover from the high arousal state of work and school and kids and extracurriculars and running to and there. Your body needs a day where it says, your body needs it even if you don't realize how much you need. We were created and designed to take a day off, but it's a day off unto God. Let me give you biblically, there's three components of a Sabbath we see throughout Scripture, and three components that are components of a healthy Sabbath. Number one is worship. It's a day of rest unto God. He doesn't just give you a day off, it's a day to worship. Here's what Sabbath does. Sabbath reminds you, reminds me, that I am not just a human doing, I'm a human being. 
Sabbath reminds me my values on what I do or accomplish or produce. My value is who I am in Christ. You know what else Sabbath does? Sabbath reminds you that you are not God and he is. He doesn't sleep or slumber, but your boy needs to. You need to. You do. It's worship. That's why if you're able to take a Sabbath on Sunday, which in our modern world is what the, as, a, as practicing followers of Christ has kind of been the norm, if you're able to, do that. Many of you work on weekends. Some of you are tuning online. You're unable because you worked last night, late last night. But have a day, have a day that you're able to take off. If you can't do a full day, start with a half a day. If a half a day is too much, start with a quarter day. Start somewhere where you can begin to bring rest. Worship is one. Number two is rest. You know, a practice that I put into my Sabbath has been a nap. And can I tell you, a nap is holy. Come on, somebody. When you take a nap and you wake up, and all of a sudden the world kept going and you, you, you were sleeping, it does something to your spirit and your soul and your body. But do whatever it is for you that's going to be restful. And then lastly is add some play, add some recreation. Nehemiah, Nehemiah 8.10 says this. This is on the Sabbath. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drink. Send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is our strength. You know, one of the factors they find that that's actually a precursor to burnout is people lose joy in their life. You know, actually, laughter is healing for you. To, like, enjoy life, laugh, enjoy people's company, do something you enjoy purely for pleasure. That's, that's, that's still within God's ordinance. Uh, that it's actually healthy for your soul. It's healthy. It helps. There was a study done in the Annals of Surgery, 2012, a journal. They looked at physicians. And you know what they found actually helps a physician to prevent burnout? Is that the physician has 15 to 20 minutes, minimally, of recreation or hobby in their day. That if they play for 15, 20 minutes, something you do, it's not to produce nothing, not to get something done, it's not for work. It's, it's simply, I'm enjoying it. It's that novel, it's Lego, it's whatever it is. You're simply enjoying what you do. To use the, the wisdom of a modern-day prophet, Winnie the Pooh, don't underestimate the value of doing nothing. It's something to rest and play and enjoying life. It's, listen, you need to have a rhythm. Please hear this. This is where you start. You need a rhythm of resting and replenishing yourself. Work and have a Sabbath. Again, if you need, start with a few days. Get proper sleep at night. Have, build into your schedule some time each day where you're resting, your physical movement, some play, some personal connections so you can begin to recover and replenish. Also, a side note, take your vacation days. Come on, somebody. Take vacation. Get out of town. Rest and recover. It's important. Here's second, <clears throat> and that is to re reconnect vulnerably with God and others. Reconnect vulnerably with God and others. The word of the Lord came to him, Elijah said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected our covenant, torn down the altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. I love Elijah's transparency. Like, God, I'm the only one left. You know, modern translation will be like, God, it was a hard day at work. My patients were requesting too much from me. God, these kids are driving me crazy. My boss has putting too heavy of a demands on me. 
That's, that's the kind of honesty Elijah was having. And there's something refreshing and actually healing about being that honest with God. That being that honest, period. Daniel Siegel, a clinical psychiatrist from UCLA, uh, he called this name it and tame it. That actually when you put words, you name your emotions, you name what you're feeling. I'm tired, I'm fatigued, I'm depressed, I'm discouraged, I'm worried, I'm anxious, I'm angry. You putting words to your feelings actually begins to put your body into a more relaxed state. The idea of brushing your feelings under the rug or stuffing them down is a complete and utter fallacy. You cannot stuff your emotions down. They are doing damage to your body. And when you actually just say it, when you actually say, like, I'm tired, when you say, I'm worried, it actually begins to calm your body down. And can I tell you this? When you do it before God Almighty, the Bible says you can cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. And I don't know about you, but I need the God of the heavens and earth to care for my soul. And he wants to care for you. In the psalm, it says he, trained, he sustains you when you cast your cares upon him. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 42.5. He says, why in my soul are you downcast? Come on, anybody else here you ever talk to yourself? Come on. You're not crazy. You're being biblical, right? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. On a side note, you know something very healthy for your soul and your emotions is to practice gratitude. You know when you're feeling like if, you're, if, you're, if you find yourself like Elijah throwing a little bit of a pity party? Man, God, I'm the only one. God, this is so hard. Begin to recount and recall the blessings God's given you. I'm not saying, I'm not, it doesn't mean to discredit how you feel, but I'm saying it does something beneficial for your soul. He says, he says but yet put your hope in God. I will yet praise him. There's something to praising God that it does for our soul. But the honesty, you know, when we, when we are honest before God, what it does, what it does physiologically is it helps relieve some of the pressure that we feel. Because you're feeling pressure. If you have stress and you haven't expressed it, you're holding that pressure in. Remember a few years ago, I got into cooking with the Instapot. Any Instapotters in the room or online? Come on. I love the Instapot because they were there. You know what sold me? They were like, listen, it's going to take like half the time of a crock pot. Sign me up. I'm all about efficiency. Um, and they have, a, they have this release valve on the Instapot that when the cooking, when the pressure builds up, the valve relieves the pressure. And they also have a quick release. If you want to get done quick, even like faster, you can hit the quick release. Do you know what actually expressing how you're feeling to God does? It's that releases the pressure. That pressure that you're actually holding, whether or not you realize it, it releases it. Can I tell you a very practical way that I do that personally is through journaling. Now listen, I, growing up, the, the class I, I, I disliked a lot was English. If you're an English teacher, I'm sorry. But I hated to write. Hence, I, I like speak. That's what I do. I, I don't like to, to write, but, but I've learned there's something, there's a powerful and therapeutic, and there's a ministry that takes place when I journal before God. And there's a, uh, a church, uh, Pete Scazzaro is a, is a pastor. He's now retired in New York City. He wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, a great book. Um, and one of the things he recommends um, is, is that each day, and this kind of helps you to bring awareness of what's happening on the inside of you, is to ask these four questions. Uh, what am I mad about? What am I sad about? What am I anxious about? 
What am I glad about? What am I mad about? What am I sad about? What am I anxious about? What am I glad about? If you don't know where to start, if the idea of journaling where you are internally is overwhelming, start right there. Just journal. How, like what, What's currently making you upset and mad? What, what are you worried over? What are you sad about right now? What are you glad or excited about? It's a way, because here's why. Honesty precedes healing. We, we say here at Catalyst with other people, is you take the mask off, honesty precedes healing. It's hard to experience healing without being honest. It begins with yourself, with God, then eventually with others. But then he takes a moment to hear from God. First Kings 19, many of you know this. He stands in the mountain in the presence of the Lord, and there's a wind that comes by, there's an earthquake, there's a fire. And the Bible says the Lord wasn't in the wind, the earthquake, or the fire. But it says, and there was a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, verse 13, he pulled the cloak over his face, went out, stood in the mouth of the cave. The voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He took a moment to hear from God. It reminds me, Jesus in Luke 5, 16, it says this, that Jesus often withdrew. He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And can I tell you this? Uh, all of these, in this series, we try to be very practical, to give you some practical tools that can help you on how God's uniquely wired and designed you physiologically, emotionally, physically, all of that. But more than anything else that you need for your life is to hear a word from God. Can I tell you, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. He gives you a peace beyond all comprehension, a peace that no other psychological or emotional tool, listen, I'm a former psychologist. I'm all for those. Nothing that those tools can do for you than hearing the voice of a loving father in heaven to hear from God. Listen, you need to protect your time with God. You know, they found in a group of pastors who burned out, um, they found the first thing that went in their life, I think this applies to all followers of Jesus, the first thing that went in their life was their personal devotional time with God. Can I tell you this? Protect that time with your life. Like each day, even just 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 5 minutes, reading the scripture, prayer, protect that time with God. I think a rhythm to have is have a daily devotion where you're reading the scriptures you're spending time in prayer. Take a weekly Sabbath, a day of rest unto God where you worship, where you're in church, you're hearing from God under the teaching and the presence of God. And then can I, if you're already doing those two things, if you're already, I mean, I'm having a regular daily devotional, um, I'm having a weekly Sabbath, can I give you one more practice? Is every quarter, every six months is, is what I call a quarterly retreat, meaning you kind of get out of town if you're able to, if not, just get out of your house for a moment. Change of place, change of pace equals change of perspective. Get out of t- I like to get out of town personally if I'm able to. I get out of town, take your journal, take your Bible, um, and then you, you, you spend time with the Lord. You hear from God. You hear from him. You read the scriptures. You get re-envisioned. You get refreshed in his presence. You hear his voice. I'm telling you, if you add these practices to your repertoire, and it's not, it's not religious. We don't do it to earn God's favor. We don't, we don't do it to somehow have a right standing with God. We do it to hear from God. Psalm 119, 103, the psalmist says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. You know, honey 
has healing properties. And the word of God and the voice of God has healing properties to your life. Ruth Haley Barton shared a great book called Sacred Rhythms. She says this, that we are starved for quiet. To hear the sound of sheer silence, that is the presence of God himself. And then lastly, verse 15 um, the Lord didn't just leave him there. He says, now go back the way you came to the desert of Damascus, verse 18. Yet I reserve 7,000 Israel whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. In other words, remember earlier, Elijah says, God, I'm the only one. God's like, nah, player, there's like 7,000 more like you, right? <laughs> Can I help somebody out? You're not the only one. Whatever your struggle is, you're not the only one. The lie of the enemy is I'm the only one. Because you know why that's a lie? Because then you'll believe no one will understand. And if no one will understand, why, why ever tell anyone? Why ever open up? And guess what the Bible says when you open up? And when we say take off the mask, you actually experience healing. So he wants to convince you that you are the only one. And the word of the Lord for you is this. There's actually 7,000 probably just like you. <laughs> and can I tell you this? Why it's so important you have a local church family. Church is on a service. It's a family that you're a part of. That's all we have next steps to help you to get further connected in the family. That's all we have community groups and faith and life courses that just launch so you can have a family of people that you can connect with. Why? Because all throughout scripture, you were not designed to be alone. To have somebody and someone that so you can take the mask off with, you can be vulnerable with. The book Loneliness by William Patrick, he did some research and found this. Actually, vulnerable connection with somebody else nourishes you in a physiological way. Catch this. It regulates your heart rate, your respiration rate, and modulates your stress response. Have you ever felt this or heard this statement? Man, it felt good to get that off my chest. It's because it actually did feel good to get it off your chest. It actually nourished you physiologically. It actually healed your soul. When you got whatever it is that was on your chest, it was on your heart, it was on your mind, when you told somebody else, it actually helped heal your very soul and reduce stress on the inside of you. You know, one aspect of that, I'll challenge you to take, uh, take it a step further, is actually to have someone in your life that you can be vulnerable with, as vulnerable. This will make some of you uncomfortable. So just hold on to your chair, Okay. Have someone you can cry with. Some of you in this room, you cry easily. Come on, where are you at? You've already cried twice today. You don't even know why, but you did. Like this morning, you're, like, you're crying. I don't even know why I'm crying. <laughs> Some of you are like, I haven't cried in 17 years. Right, you know? I haven't cried since the day I was born. You know? Probably a healthy balance is kind of in the middle there. <laughs> You do need to cry. You know, actually crying releases oxytocin. It's the pleasure chemical in your brain that God actually designed you to cry. Like, that's why, you know, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. Like, there's actually benefit to weeping. You know, in Japan, in some cities, they literally have crying clubs. True story. Because they recognize how good it is to cry for your mental health. So they have these clubs where you can just go with people, and it's like no, no questions asked, no, no shame. And you can just weep. You need someone that you can just, you can do that with. You can, you can let your guard down so much that you actually, you actually cry. And listen, we want to help you find that. Again, we have these here at Catalyst next steps and community groups, ways to help you build relationships with people, getting connected in the life of a church family. Here's the last and final point. 
So we have rest and replenish ourselves, reconnect vulnerably with God and others. Third point is this, is reprioritize and restructure our lives. Verse 15, the Lord speaks to him and says, go back the way you came. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel, and Mahol, that will succeed you as prophet. In other words, God says, Elijah, I am not done with you yet. And here's a lie you'll be tempted to believe if you burn out is that somehow whatever I was doing when I burned out, I am not called to do because it exhausted me. And can I tell you, it's a lie from the enemy. I'm not saying you might have to rearrange your life and restructure your life, but listen, the enemy wants to convince you that somehow you're no longer called this, and God says, Elijah, I'm not done with you yet. Elijah, come out of the cave. Elijah, I have purpose for you. Elijah, I still have a vision for your life. Elijah, I still have a mission for you to accomplish. Elijah, go back. Do you know when you actually injure your body? I injured my shoulder about it last year, and a physical trainer told me that a part of my injury, he says, don't rest it too long. He says, you need to active, have active recovery. So he gave me exercises to kind of recover my shoulder kind of actively. To, and can I tell you, when I started to do the exercise, he said, my shoulder got better and stronger. And can I tell you, to recover from burnout, you cannot recover fully from burnout or prevent burnout solely from napping and eating bread. Come on, somebody. I wish you could. Please hear me. I'm like, are you sure, Jesus? Because I like napping and eating bread, all right? I can do that. I can obey that part. You gotta, you, gotta, you gotta be vulnerable with God and others. And then you gotta get back on purpose. Say, God, what have you called me to? Help me to get, some of you, you need to get re-envisioned once again with the call of God in your life. You, you need to hear the voice of God. God, what have you called me to? You need to get back on purpose. God, why am I here at the NIH? Why am I here at Walter Reed? Why have you called me to the Washington, D.C. area? Why am I here? Why did I start this business? Why am I in this graduate program? You need to get re-envisioned by God once again. Part of that retreat, too, you can, you can get re-envisioned once again. But you need to rediscover your purpose. And then you might need to restructure your life. See, sometimes it's not so much the weight you're carrying, it's how you're carrying the weight. See, stress is pressure. Stress is weight. Reminds me of Exodus 18. Uh, Moses has an interaction with his father-in-law, Jethro. Uh, Jethro comes to him and says this in verse 17. What you're doing is not good. On a side note, you need someone in your life that you give enough authority and liberty who can tell you that what you're doing is not good. If you don't have somebody in your life who can tell you what you're doing is not good, you're in a dangerous place because no one can actually help you be your guardrails and help you from making a bad decision. He says, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you, because all these people were coming to Moses and he was helping them handle their, their complaints and disputes. He says, you will only wear yourself out or burn yourself out. The work is too heavy for you. You can't handle it alone. That's the key part, alone. You need people. He then says this, select capable men from all the people and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. In other words, don't step down from leadership, but change how you're doing it. Adjust the weight. Delegate some of this to other people. I remember some years ago, uh, Christine and I were in the Caribbean celebrating an anniversary, and uh, we were there. We were going to this, like, um, snorkeling spot, and we got in this small boat, and everyone who got in the boat sat towards the back of the boat. And the captain of the boat said, hey, I need some of you to kind of come to the front. He said, because if, we, if, if you don't come to the front, the boat's going to tip back. 
when I hit the motor. In other words, the boat could handle the weight in the boat, but it had to carry it differently than how it was originally. That if the weight evenly distributed across the boat, it could function well. Like the, the boat could handle it, but we had to adjust some things. And here's the reality for some of you. The weight that you're carrying in life, you can, you can carry, but you might need to adjust some things. You might need to change some things. It might be as practical as this. There might be some things in your life that you need. There might be some things in your life that you need to stop doing. There, there might be some things that you need to think through. Even for some of you, maybe you're like myself. I'm in this category. You're a very kind of driven person. You're kind of type A, you know, achievement-oriented. And you need to actually put boundaries around yourself. Uh, that's actually part of my conversation with my counselor, <laughs> is I need boundaries. So if I'm not, I, I can work all of the time. And we're not designed to work all of the time. So for some of you, you may be burned out because you burn yourself out because you work so hard. You're driven. You're focused. You got, you got a job, two side hustles, and three degrees. Come on. You might need to pause the degrees for a season so you can actually sleep eight hours a night. I know it can seem kind of comical, but the reality is this. Some, sometimes you can overburden yourself. Also, here, here's, here's what I want to ask you. Is there anything in your life that you said yes to that God has not asked you to say yes to? Like, you can't, if you're married, you can't, like, God's not saying ditch your spouse. Come on. If you got kids, he's not saying leave your kids. Some of you are like, I'll just leave them at church, and then I'll have less burden. No, pick up your kids after church, please. All right, you need, we all have a work to do, right? We're not, he's not calling us to just nap and eat bread, right? We all have something to do. Like, there's things that we're called to do. But there may be some things you said yes to that God didn't call you to say yes to. Um, and a lot of times that, that, that can be part of the reason why, we're, why we find ourselves burned out or fatigued. So, and ask God for wisdom. Like, God, help me to, to better balance my life. Like, again, I'm not talking about life balance, but balance the weight in your life. It might be an honest conversation with your spouse about delineation of responsibilities. Like, hey, could you, maybe we balance things better here. Maybe we adjust our schedule. You know, maybe you find yourself out with the kids every other night. Maybe you need to pull back a little bit. Again, I'm just, do some practical restructuring and realigning. Part of that, too, is, is actually reprioritizing your life. And I have a visual to show you here of what it may look like, is that your life, you have a number of responsibilities. And some of you may have seen something like this before, but I have, a, I have a little caveat to add. Is that your life, we all have a capacity, meaning you don't have an endless capacity. You can grow your capacity, but you have limited energy, right? You have limited time. We can't make more time. Uh, your energy will run out. But what's important is you want to make sure you're properly prioritizing what you need to prioritize. So, for example, first and foremost is your relationship with God. And I have it here as a stone because, come on, the Apostle Paul says Christ is the chief cornerstone. Come on. Corny, but it works. You know it is. You won't forget it. Chief cornerstone. And then you have, if you got a family, right, you're married, you got kids, that, that needs to come next. You gotta, that's your, 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 you're responsible for that, right? Um, or if you're not married, you know, close family, friends. Um, then you have, of course, you got, you got to work, right? You got work. You got, you got school uh, if you're in school. Um, 
And then, uh, you know, as a follower of Christ, you're called to be a part of a local church. You're involved. You're in a group. You're serving on the dream team. You know, you're involved there. And these next couple rocks um, may not be something you thought of before as a priority or something you had to put in your schedule. But can I just humbly submit to you to do so, to either prevent or recover from burnout? Um, sleep. Come on. That's an important one. Get some proper sleep. Um, be careful you're not getting less than six hours or you'll begin cognitively impaired, um, emotionally dysregulated. Um, and then get rest. That might mean some physical movement, some exercise, some going on a bike ride, go for a walk, play with your kids. Find something you can do recreationally, like a hobby, fishing, reading a novel, Legos, whatever, something creatively. Do something. Put those things in your schedule, right? Those are the basics. You, know, you got work, you got sleep, you got family, you got, you got, you got as, a, as a person of faith, of course, your relationship with God, then also your relationship with the church. And then here's the everything else. Here's the 145 minutes you spend on Facebook a day and Instagram and TikTok and Twitter. Um, so here's all those, you know, Facebook, your Netflix, your uh, Pilates class. Oh, that's part of physical movement. That's good. Um, all the other things. And there might need to be some things you just say no to. Say, no, I'm going to say no to these things in this season. Maybe it was that side hustle that you didn't really feel called to and you don't really need to do right now. I don't know. Again, only you know that. You, you and God. But then what you'll find is when you properly prioritize and properly structure your life, you realize you can live a healthy life so you can run the race marked out for you, as the Apostle Paul said, and not burn out and not be exhausted and not crash and burn, not give up. Can I say this lovingly but, but firmly? The call of God on your life is too important for you to burn out. It's too important. We've got to take care of the temple that God's given us. Our body, our souls, our spirits. I close with the, with the words of Jesus. It's always a good place to close. He says, come to me, Matthew 11, 28. All who are weary and burdened. If you feel weary and burdened, we're going to in a moment pray for you today. If you feel tired, maybe you're like, Jeremy, I'm burned out. We're going to pray for you today because these practical steps, I think, can help you. But I know this, that a touch from God, nothing can replace a moment in the presence of God. In the same way that, that Elijah met with God in Mount Horeb, God's going to meet with us today. He says, all who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Mind you, the word yoke was a, was a tool of oppression in that culture. He says, I have a new yoke to give you. He says, learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. That word soul is, literally means you're like your complete self. Like when you think of your identity, that's what that means. Your complete self. For my yoke is easy. My burden is is light. Doesn't mean we'll have an easy life, but it means there's a rest for our souls that comes from Christ. I want to challenge you this week. Spend some time with the Lord and let me examine your notes and reread the scriptures and say, God, what, what is the step I need to take to prevent burnout? Maybe for you, you're at a place you need to recover. 
from burnout. And, and examine your life. Am I, am, I, am I resting and replenishing myself well? Am I, am I connecting vulnerably with God? Am I connecting vulnerably with other people? And then lastly, there, there's some ways I need to reprioritize and restructure my life so I can better manage the weight God's given me.